And hello, and welcome to the Art Support. I don't know what an and was doing there. I assume I was attempting some sort of transition from the acapella theme, which has no words in it. That made sense in my head. How are you doing? My name's Jake Clark, and we are broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. Uh, and I am joined in studio today by our correspondent, Leah Siegel, and we're going to open the show, well, actually, we're going to open the show with a review of the uh, United Players production of Good Night, Desdemona, Good Morning, Juliet. Mm-hmm. That's the correct order. Uh, but first, we're going to hit you with a shout-out. Now, this has been on our social media, if you've been following us devoutly, uh, which I which I hope you have, because I've been responsible for that for the past little while. Um we have a ticket giveaway going for The King's Singers, which is a, well, it's a musical. It's a musical event, excuse me, organized by Early Music Vancouver. The program is called Royal Blood Music for Henry VIII. This will be at the Chan Center uh, on February 9th. That is next Saturday at 7.30. And this is, well, it's a, uh, The King's Singers is... A, I believe it's it's sort of a uh, a cappella group. I believe uh, it has been hailed by the London Times as a superlative vocal sextet. I was going for a British accent there, but I didn't know which one I was doing, so I'm sort of acclimatizing it now. Jolly good, bully. Um, Royal Blood will feature works by King Henry VIII, William Byrd, Thomas Wilkes, Henry Purcell, Benjamin Britten, and more. I knew who two of those people were. That's cool. Now, uh, we're, of course, running a ticket giveaway for this, so if you are interested in the uh, the possible musical stylings of an eight-time married British monarch, boy, have we got the stuff for you. Uh, so give us a call during either of our PSA breaks. Our phone number is totally made been, is totally known to me, <laughs> and uh, yeah, I am, I'm completely aware of... of uh, <laughs> Of the CITR He's not stalling at all. phone number. No, not at all. <laughs> Never say die. Our on-air line is 604-822-CITR, which is 2487. I repeat, 604-822-2487. Please feel free to give us a call during our PSA break and tell us which one of Henry VIII's wives is, I guess, your favorite, but that's not really, you know, called for, ranking Henry VIII's wives. I don't know. If you can tell us the uh, the... The fates of Henry VIII's wives, which I learned as a child and will probably share at some point, or just, you know, name one of Henry VIII's wives. I really, or sing Henry VIII, I am, I am, just something related to Henry VIII. I know a shocking amount about Henry VIII, and it kind of worries me. He's a pretty, I would say he's one of the most interesting kings in British history. It's interesting because I have never uh, seen the Tudors. Really? Yeah, and I think that's the – I have seen the other Boleyn girl. My parents read the book, and then mm. we, we saw the movie, I remember, because Natalie Portman. Yeah. That's a reason to do most things. Um, <laughs> that's Scarlett Johansson, right? Uh, I, I, I remember Gwyneth Paltrow, but I can't remember. Oh, goodness. Uh, yeah. I mean, as, as much as I think about Henry VIII – okay, so I will spoil the wives thing for you. Do you have you ever heard the mnemonic for that? Oh, uh, yeah, once. <laughs> it's divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. God, the last one left out. Yeah, well, well, the divorced ones too. Actually, probably the ones who got divorced were the luckiest. Well, it's it's kind of interesting because my family in our Christmas decorations have Henry VIII, Admiral Nelson, and then all of Henry VIII's wives as like these sort of cushion. 
Christmas decorations. And it's really interesting because that's how I learned Henry VIII's wives um, as a child. So that's my family for you. Do you have a favorite um, uh, child of Henry VIII? Um, well, I'm pretty sure Lizzie came out ahead in that one. Yeah, yeah. Um, She's pretty chill. I mean, she, she was a pretty pretty solid monarch, all <laughs> yeah. told. Her sister, you know, was kind, kind, of, kind of a homicidal maniac. Mm. So uh, multicidal, uh, arguably. Not not really genocidal, but, you know, given time. Uh, so, yeah, I, I got to say Lizzie's kind of the, the obvious winner there. It's interesting, though, because they think Henry VIII kind of, well, I mean, how many kings is this probably true of? But he had about 30 children. Uh, and he had actually had a son who would have been of age to take the throne, but was a son by a washerwoman. Oh. So, yeah, that's a no-go. Uh, he probably led a better life for it. Yeah, uh, I don't know if anybody in that situation was having an easy time of it. We don't know if that kid lived or not. You know, oh, we, They know he was, an ad- he was probably made adulthood. They're not sure. Because that would have been a bit of a threat to have that guy walking around, oh, respiring yeah. all the time, you know. <laughs> Be a bit of an issue. Like, the other DL. I mean, I mean, speaking of these sort of, uh, well, actually, around this period, right? Shakespeare wrote for Elizabeth. Mm-hmm. Good night, Desdemona. <laughs> Good morning, Juliet. What a segue. <laughs> starring Robin Williams. I just uh, Good morning, Vietnam is kind of the reason I do this. So go ahead, you know, unpack the the production for us. Yeah. So I'm. Uh, last week was the opening for Good Night Desdemona, Good Morning Juliet at uh, uh, the Jericho Art Center at United Players. Um, for those who aren't familiar, it's a play by Anne Marie McDonald, who is um, a Canadian playwright. It's kind of in um, I think the canon of uh, Canadian uh, theater, um, and uh, so it. it what we have is this um, Shakespeare academic who is convinced that uh, two of Shakespeare's most famous tragedies, Romeo and Juliet and Othello, were actually once comedies um, uh, that um, had a character in them that uh, were able to right the wrongs and set things straight and result in a happy ending. Um, Shakespeare took those scripts took out that character and then that's why we have um you know everything falling apart people dying um so uh she's uh you know convinced that this is the case and at for some weird supernatural reason um she is ends up getting transported to these actual plays um and meeting the characters interacting um, with them, um, and it, you know the the play itself. It's it's this interesting premise because when you look at a lot of Shakespeare's plays as tragedies, um, you know you look at like there's like probably one moment that if it had uh, been you know righted, if one letter was delivered on time, or if there was one person who was like, hey, don't trust Iago, he's lying to you. <laughs> a, there are, there's a lot of, well, it's kind of funny. Well, all almost all of his tragedies, I would say, have a grain of comedy in them, like yeah. the Porter from Macbeth. I, I love the Porter, by the way. That's, yeah. that's one of my favorite minor characters in anything. Uh, and I, I got to say, like, there there are things, it, it is about communication mm-hmm. in both Othello and Romeo and Juliet. Well, there's the joke in, um, well, there's a joke in a lot of people address Romeo and Juliet is if they just communicate it. <laughs> like, Romeo and Juliet does not work with phones. That's one problem with the Baz oh. Luhrmann version. If you can, like, like, hey, uh, no. Oh, okay. 
we don't have to use a celibate priest as a go-between between hormonal youth okay that would be that'd be incredibly convenient mm-hmm. you know i actually um i saw uh hamlet at another tragedy by shakespeare i at, it was part of the push festival Hamlet's a tragedy by shakespeare it is indeed i don't know if you've heard of it uh, i know it's a little obscure is it is it, is it about the pork industry <laughs> wouldn't that be funny um uh anyway someone has done that i'm they're is a restaurant in my hometown of Portland, or at least there was, that had, it was based on that kind of joke, I guess. And a Portlandia episode was born. And a Portland, exactly. <laughs> um, anyways, what were we talking about? Hamlet. Hamlet. You saw Hamlet at <laughs> I, Push. I, yes, I saw Hamlet at Push. And, um, you know, there, despite the fact that, it, you know, everyone basically dies at the end they're able to craft those moments of humor and i I think that's like sometimes shakespeare can be a little um yeah elevated and distant and hard to connect to um but i think when they do it really well it it, there are those moments of connection in in humor in um uh, expression I, i i don't know i'm a shakespeare fan um Anyways. I think most people who are not George Bernard Shaw are Shakespeare fans. <laughs> there's a lot of people. I, mean, I know. I, I follow There's a lot to be taken from it, though. Like, there are very rich works, and there's a lot of, well, with The Push, for example. Yeah. There's, there's some, even with, uh, well, the gender reversal in Shakespeare is something mm, that's been done. Twelve Nights. Every given which way. We talking about that. Well, the reversal of the, the casts, too. Like oh, the Much Ado production that's coming up. Yeah, for, uh, yeah, yeah. for Who is doing the, that? The, the Cult. The Cult, that's yeah. right, yeah. They're doing all-female cast. Which is interesting because I, I kind of feel like that it is, I think, uh, useful, but I also think it's kind of overdone mm. in that it's a really simple bait and switch yeah. gimmick. Uh-huh. It, and I've, I've seen that done, for example, with Taming of the Shrew, uh-huh. which is a point where uh, it does help to highlight a lot of some of the problems with Taming of the Shrew. Yeah. In that Taming of the Shrew, um, yeah, there's no way to get around this. Taming of the Shrew is extremely about domestic violence. Like in a not not directly about it, but there's a lot of it in the play that yeah. goes unquestioned, like to a degree that is like uh, people would call have have and with good reason called Shakespeare an anti-Semite, and you know what he probably was. So were most people at that point. Product of his time. Explanation, not an excuse. Jews were literally not allowed in England at this point in history. Yeah. Like for a large part of English history. He was like, I've heard tell of these distant right. villains. Yeah. yeah. And it, it was, and it was the that was the punchline. Like it was, even in Much Ado About Nothing, one of the original one of the lines in Much Ado About Nothing, is Benedict goes, uh, "If I do not love her, I am a Jew," because <laughs> it just meant infidel. <laughs> like it just meant, oh, I don't believe in things. Like there were texts at that time where they're like, "I will defy the laws of Muhammad," and they're talking about the Jews. Like, you really don't know anything about Jews, do you? Just. Just like, uh, yeah, just Jews worship Muhammad now. Okay, okay, like, like that's that's even beyond internet stupid. Uh. Although I, I I really hesitate to say that because somewhere, the with Shylock though, who is an amazing character, because and I think Bard on the Beach when they did Shylock, they did the play Shylock and they also did Merchant of Venice, mm-hmm. and Shylock is a per, is a character you can within good grounds play as someone who is just furious all the time Mm -hmm. because his life is constantly 
infringed upon up and up to and including legal recourse I, I by saw, the people around him i went to uh the globe uh, a few years ago and i saw a really good production of the merchant of venice you know um you, it can be done it's... oh sorry <laughs> oh, sorry we just had technical difficulties <laughs> it, but oh it can be done merchant yeah, yeah, of venice yeah, yeah. can be I think I think you kind of have to reframe it a little yeah, bit yeah. To, to a degree, but that's yeah. as much as you need to reframe a lot of things. Like that's just how the text is read. Whereas Taming the Shrew, you just have to be really creative to make it. Just, yeah, or yeah. you do like the Liz Taylor Richard Burton one, where the entire yeah. end of it is just sarcastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like you could do that. I mean, that's just. I mean, that joke kind of writes itself. Yeah. Considering Richard Burton, you yeah. know, being Richard Burton. Or you could just do what I do and watch Ten Things I Hate About You. Yeah, or I was I was gonna say Kiss Me Kate, but yeah, Ten mm-hmm. Things I Hate About You is <laughs> Heath Ledger, oh, rest in peace. Young JGL too. Like there's yeah, a, it's kind of it's kind of weird to to see him then because you can definitely see, like he looks exactly like you oh would expect God. if you shrunk Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Mm-hmm. Just as adorable. Yeah, I like I I I really do I like that movie a lot. There's there's a lot of things. That is a really charming movie. It's adorable. The dance scene on the field. The oh oh yeah yeah you sing in Frankie Valley. That's yeah. right. Ten, um, that's our impromptu barbershop. Uh, what, what song is that? It's "Can't Take My Eyes Off of You" by yeah. Frankie Valley in the Four yeah. Seasons. Yeah, that's a good song. It's a great song. Like um, with and. I, I, to bring this around to Good Night Desdemona, yes. Good Morning Juliet, yes. like it does, I imagine, because this is about recontextualizing mm-hmm. drama as comedy. And uh-huh. there's grounds to do that even within the plays. Yes. Like, because, well, I was telling you this beforehand. My favorite character in Shakespeare is Mercutio. Yeah. A, a Romeo and Juliet character. Yeah. And is he in this play? He is, um, very briefly. It's it's one of those things where she goes, um, this Shakespeare academic goes to the exact moment where um, things go awry and in Romeo and Juliet what they've identified is the uh, moment when spoiler alert um, Mercutio gets killed. Can you do spoilers for Shakespeare? Let, let's assume you can. Yeah. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> so um, yeah there's a, a little brief cameo but you don't um, spend a lot of time with him unfortunately. It's it's kind of it's kind of sad about that because he is, like I said, he's one of my favorite characters in anything. Yeah. I like to compare the characterizations of Mercutio because mm-hmm. he's a very verbose character. There's a lot of ways to play him, like the Harold Perrineau version from the, the Baz Luhrmann one. Yeah. Like, man, I I like Harold Perrineau as an actor a lot, and that's that's a fun character right there. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, uh, the Franco Zeffirelli one. You've got, like, the sort of uh, wasted kind of middle-aged man who's been clearly indulging in liver abuse, which is kind of funny when you think that Bruce Robinson was Benvolio. Um, okay, that, that I, there's a lot to that. Uh, and then there's John Barrymore, too. Mm-hmm. As the, I, Well, we, we were talking about yeah, this before. Yeah. Uh, literally just rehashing the thing. But like, <laughs> also, a really kind of sad character. It's Mercutio. Like kinda, yeah, yeah. yeah, to me. There's, there's, a, there's a whole other tragedy in Mercutio that is purposefully left out. And it's, it's, it's interesting how that goes, I think. Yeah. Um, so it, what, you know, when you see, going back to the Goodnight Desdemona, um, you see like when we have these moments of tragedy taken away, um, it it paints the characters in a different light, you know, it kind of exposes them for how ridiculous they can be. Um, you know, in the case of Romeo, we have, you know, someone who 
kind of falls in love with like the next person's like every five minutes you yeah. know um and Juliet turns out to be just very fatalistic you know um but uh so there is uh a, you know humor in that um that's it, it's a fun premise yeah how was that conveyed in the production um, I would say that uh, they were successful in some respects. Um, others, uh, oh, I think they struggled a bit. Um, for those who haven't been to the theater, it's it's a thrust stage. Yeah. So um, what that means is that the audience is going to be on three, si- three sides of the stage, um, which, you know, as I was telling you earlier, Jake, it, I think that's great for Shakespeare because that, you know, allows for a lot of connection with the audience, especially when you're monologuing. Um, and I, I don't think that they took advantage of that like they could have, um, especially like the first bit of the play, um, we have, um, uh, the, uh, this Shakespeare academic, her name is Constance Ledbelly. Um, she is, um, uh, Constance Ledbelly. That's, that's the name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just singing Lead Belly for a second. Oh, okay. Really like Lead Belly. I was Belly. curious. Great blues singer. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> um, uh, so she is hard at work on her um, research while she's not being appreciated by her uh, superior at the university. Um, and meanwhile, while we have that, we also have um, the plot line of Romeo and Juliet unfolding. We see uh you know um mercutio being stabbed um and then we also at the same time you know simultaneously we have uh, uh othello being um uh convinced by iago that um desdemona his uh wife is cheating on him with uh cassio really easily too <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i've studied that play and like he's immediately like immediately believes it but just wants proof yeah he's like i need proof i i think it's true but i need proof i need all the proof it's again and it's like why can't honest anybody be iago. reasonable <laughs> why don't communication it's honest iago oh honest iago That's, they refer yeah. to him as honest iago so many times in the play and i'm thinking and of course, like whenever you see, it's always like the most conniving, like slippery person that they cast in that role. And it's like, how did he ever get that image that Iago is honest? So I've seen the Bollywood version of Othello, <gasps> Omkara. I, oh my god, I didn't know that was that existed. It's really good. <laughs> highly recommend it. Uh, it's actually a it's a realistic movie. There's no fantasy scenes with the musical numbers. There is music in it, but one of the characters is a singer. Oh. And one of the scenes is at a party, so it makes sense. Okay. And the guy they have playing Iago. Um, and the guy they the, the uh, Iago role and the guy they have playing the Cassio role uh, do a really good job of contrasting the sort of uh, types they have because the guy playing Iago is like a really uh, stocky guy with kind of a nasal voice, Ooh. so he looks kind of goblin like, but he also <laughs> looks really chummy, mm-hmm. and his affect changes so drastically in the scenes. Like you get why you get why this guy seems friendly. Yeah, he just not he's not dynamic, and the Cassio character is like dynamic guy who like can can play Stevie Wonder on the guitar and like you know is is can really bust a move and this Iago guy is is seems seems like like seems if you're the Othello character who's Omkara yeah he seems loyal but he's not special and you can see sort of the root of the anger that really mm-hmm. you get from Iago 
Yeah. I saw a production um, where they had this guy – uh, who played Iago? He was like this tall, lanky fellow, and you could just see the thing—the wheels just turn in his mind. He was fantastic. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of great performances in Iago. Mm. Now, apropos of this play, to get to the meat of it, would you recommend it? Um, I would say you know, it's it's a charming play. Um, you know, we there's some really good performers. I think, oh, I wrote down the names of the people that I really liked. Um, Alicia Shukuk is her Desdemona is like fierce and bold and funny and like it made me appreciate Desdemona in a way that I, I mean it's been some time since I've read Othello, uh, but I you know I I I really was like oh I, you know I haven't seen her in that light. Um, also, um, Vincent Keats and Danielle Clout they play Romeo and Juliet and they ham it up. It's it's enjoyable to <laughs> oh, watch. Oh, that's good. That's good to hear. It's enjoyable to watch. Um, and you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, you know, again, it's an interesting idea. I, I, I think that, you know, there were some issues, um, it could have been smoother executed, executed more smoothly, but, um, I, you know, I, if you like Shakespeare, um, and who among of us doesn't? If you're, if you're sort of invested in Shakespeare, it'll probably reveal itself more apparently. Yeah, 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 you know. Okay, so uh, we have a conditional endorsement. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, that's that's awesome, Leah. We're going to take a uh, quick break. We're going to take a quick PSA break and play us some Herman's Hermits. Guess which song? Uh, If you hear the song, feel free to call in. Feel free to to pick up some tickets. Again, Henry VIII. Henry VIII. Just Just let him sing it. Let me me synchronize it. (laughs) Henry the Eighth, I am I am. I'm Henry the Eighth, I am. Henry the Eighth, I am I am. I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times before, and everyone was an Henry. Henry. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. No, Sam. I'm a eighth old man, I'm Henry. Henry the Eighth, I am. Second verse. Same as the first. I'm Henry the Eighth, I am. Henry the Eighth, I am, I am. I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times before, and everyone was an Henry. Henry. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. No, Sam. I'm a eighth old man, I'm Henry. Henry the Eighth, I am. Problem? 
home, officer? Yes, you've got a noise complaint. Fight the power and listen to the brand new podcast from CITR 101.9 FM, Noise Complaint. Episodes will be released every Friday starting January 18th with performances and interviews from some of your favorite local bands. Kamikaze Nurse, Psy, Princess Apparently, Fake Fruit, and so many more. Subscribe to Noise Complaint on iTunes or download from CITR.ca starting January 18th. Have you ever thought about going abroad to study, work, intern, or learn a language? Mark Thursday, February 28th, your calendar, and get down to the Vancouver Convention Center, East Building, to find out how. All the experts under one roof, top universities, gap year specialists, and student travel organizations. There's a feature seminar on scholarships that starts at 1 p.m. and the expo opens at 2 p.m. Admission is free. Check it out online at www.studyandgoabroad.com for more info. And we're back! Did you miss us? Did you still have Henry VIII I am? I am stuck in your head. I do. You know, one thing I really do appreciate about Hermit's Hermits, Herman's Hermits, Hermits, yeah, or the fact that they just made me sound like the Swedish chef from Muppets, is they made a movie. Mrs. Brown, You've Got a Lovely Daughter, I think is the movie. It's a name after one of their songs. It's like, it's sort of a Hard Day's Night style band movie. I kind of wish those were back. Like, I saw the One Direction documentary at one point, I think I just, uh, somewhere online, and the <laughs> I remember this, because it's, Morgan Spurlock made that documentary, and there are, like, scenes Wait, that are- Wait, the One Direction one? Yeah. I did not know and that. And Martin Scorsese was in it. What? Yeah, he's taking his grandkids to the concert, so that's nice, you know? Uh, and, like, I don't, I don't really have a feeling on One Direction, I don't, like- Feel really one way or another. Catchy tunes. I, I, I don't I don't really know any of the songs. I know they did a song that samples Teenage Wasteland, uh, not Teenage Wasteland. What's it? Bab O'Reilly, <laughs> by the by the <laughs> Who, uh, which is kind of in and of itself a very interesting proposition. But I kind of wish that they had gone all the way with it and made just a a fictional movie, like like the the tattoo on his back is leading them to the lost treasure of El Dorado. <laughs> Wouldn't that have been cool? That would have been that would have been fun. I kind of kind of want to bring back the well. We don't really have bands anymore. I guess you could kind of do it with Brockhampton, maybe. <laughs> but that would go to some really dark places really fast. Or what about like Imagine Dragons or something? I don't know why you'd want to make any uh, make a movie with Imagine. I don't know. Dragons. I imagine that there'd be a lot of yelling, like, "So, hey, <laughs> pick me up, you pick me up, believer." Uh, uh, I don't know. Imagine Dragons. They've got it's time. That was a good song, but I I don't know. They don't sell me. You know, there's the That's the, fair. <laughs> the constant boom to them. It sounds kind of hollow. I don't know. It's, I, isn't there something where like they essentially their songs are just them yelling the name of the song? Um, thunder, feel the thunder. thunder. <laughs> they chipmunk the vocals on that one too, which is weird because that doesn't sound like the like uh, I could play ACDC's Thunderstruck right now. Mm-hmm. Very different song. Mm-hmm. Gonna go say slightly more thunder like, slightly. Uh, well, actually, significantly more thunder like. <laughs> thunder. Like yeah, that does not sound like thunder. Uh, Todd in the Shadows did a really actually did a funny thing for that where he subbed in that thunder for uh. Uh, ACDC's Thunderstruck, so it's like, it's really anticlimactic. Oh man, you're doing it justice too. Oh, I I, I hope so. I hope so. I do appreciate that. Uh, Yeah, that that was one thing I was kind of hoping for though, but I don't think that, I I I think that might be a dead genre a little bit. It depends on how you um, 
uh, frame it, I suppose. Band movies? Kind of. Well, that, I think that might be because of the band. Like, because like, I, I think rock and roll is no longer a dominant art form. Hmm. Like, in a in, in kind of a major way. Um, and I, I, I've, I've, I've thought a decent amount about this. Uh, there is... There is... <laughs> <laughs> with with uh, with rock and roll, because like, because we've kind of like there was the last boom, kind of I want to say in the two thousands, because like there were bands like the Killers, or really like Killers oh, things like that. I love the Killers Middle School. Yeah, saw them in ninth grade. Really? Yep. I they came here and I couldn't see them because <gasps> I had an exam. Ugh. And I was I I remember oh, that boy. that would have been like a great show. Raymond Flowers is a weird weird man, but He's- he. Fantastic. Makes interesting stuff. I couldn't hear the next day or two. <laughs> it'd be it'd be very you know interesting to have him. You know, it'd be interesting to interview him honestly because it's just about you know the Mormonism and what. It's uh, although given my comments on the Church of Latter Day Saints. <laughs> yeah, hopefully he didn't listen to that other. Yeah, that, uh, that episode. would that, that could go kind of badly. Uh, it could go actually substantially badly. Oh, man. Uh, for those who are wondering, I am just trying to figure out how to describe Narcissister, uh, which has nothing to do with band movies or Herman's Hermits that I'm aware of. I Honestly, it could. I, I can't be surprised at this point. Um, the uh, Narcissister is a performance artist. Let's lead with that. Uh, Narcissister uh, is uh, from California, I believe. Um uh, she is uh, a skilled dancer who uh, whose work has been described as avant porn. Ooh, I'm yeah. intrigued. I, I would pull. I I, I would uh, I, I would try to Google my way further, but again, I might end up on a list. <laughs> well, I didn't say that earlier, but I might end up on a list. Uh, I'm probably already on one. Uh, the she has had a movie made about. She was on America's Got Talent, um, which I'm pretty sure was also performance art. Um, and sh- there is a movie about her that has been made. Uh, the movie is kind of a send-off to her late mother. Uh, shows a lot about her. And Narcissister, she's always masked. Hmm. Uh, has a sort of parodic Barbie doll mask. A lot of playing with the symmetry of the body. Her, like, faces are kind of Professor Lupin's the face a little bit. No. You're going to have to explain that. You seen the first <laughs> Harry Potter movie? Yes. Was that Lupin? No. No. Lupin is... No, Lupin's the werewolf. Yeah. Right, of course. He's a good guy. Who is... What's his face? Who is the professor? Oh, uh, Quirrell. Quirrell. She kind of Professor Quirrell's the mask a little bit. like. Oh, like in the back of her head. Two faces, yeah. Mm. So, and she does a lot of... So it's, it's at first she tricks you with which way her body's facing. Uh-huh. And even upright... It's, it's interesting stuff. I haven't really seen uh, a lot of her work. I've seen the America's Got Talent performance. I've seen some of her other work because it is hard to find on the internet, surprisingly. Uh, for anything with porn in the title. Uh, but her work is, as it said, Narcissister is related to she's biracial uh, and relates to her identity that way. And also to, uh, obviously, some form of message on mass culture, I would say. that Certainly, she's Southern Californian, so there's like this sort of Barbie doll aesthetic going on, mm-hmm. uh, subversions of that. Uh, and she made a movie called Narcissister Organ Player. Uh, which is going to be playing at the Cinematheque on the 31st and then the first of the, and on the 31st and up to February 3rd. So that's tomorrow through till Sunday. Uh, we're... I'm going to see it. Oh. I may be out of my league here. <laughs> I 
I am kind of at a loss to figure out how, like, the organizing scheme for, for this. Oh, the playing an organizing scheme to performance art is kind of facile, but there's a lot about this where I realize I probably am not qualified to make observations on it. Yeah. I, <laughs> I mean, avant-garde art in general. That wasn't what I was aiming at. Oh, that wasn't okay. the aspect I was aiming at, but okay. the, yeah. The porn part? No. Uh, no, uh, I mean the, the the whole uh, race and sex commentary. Oh, uh, okay. Because me. Oh. Uh, for those wondering, I am, uh, as my the everything about me indicates, a white dude from southwestern Ontario. <laughs> so there are some complexities here that maybe are kind of out of my depth. We'll see how it goes. Fair enough. Yeah, that's, that's what what do I do this show for if not to display my own ignorance? There you go. Hopefully learn about it. Actually, that kind of reminds me that, apropos of learning, we are going to have a guest next show uh, who will be working on, uh, uh, on well, on a few things. She'll be, he'll be, he will be, he, excuse me. I, I, I know what pronouns are. <laughs> Actually, if I didn't at this point, that would be kind of silly. Um, <laughs> this is Professor Norman Cornett, who's a former uh, McGill professor. Uh, who has a very interesting approach towards arts education. Uh, we will learn more about that next week because we're going to have a actually lengthened, we're going to have a 30-minute opening interview uh, with him. And he is delivering a, uh, a lecture, uh, Aesthetics and Spirituality, which is a dialogue, because he he presents all of his works as dialogic, and that's a very interesting phrase. Um, that's at the David Malfagin World Art Center. Uh, it's completely free on thir- February 13th, uh, 2014. This is out of date. <laughs> so, uh, five years ago? Yeah, five years ago. This is the time traveling thing. <laughs> this is the thing. Um, Special arts report. Yeah, this is, this is when what we a, realized. What a better, what a more innocent time. Is it? Oh, um, he, sorry, he is uh, doing it on the 30th of, so he's doing it today. Uh, a screening of his, uh, is he doing it today? Uh so I hope you all went. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he, so he's doing, he's coming to town and he's doing these dialogues. He's also um, taking part in the work of, I believe, uh, some form of curatorial duties with the work of Lydia Moser, uh, whose work I shall uh, produce remotely. Oh, um, huh. Interesting. Uh, never mind. It was an entirely different thing. <laughs> It's going great. Um, in all seriousness, he's been the subject of a documentary, actually, which I think is worth noting because it is available for free. Um, and it, it concerns his, uh, his, educational, his educational practices and his expulsion uh, from, U- from University of McGill. And it is uh, directed by Alanis Obamsawin. Obamsawin? Obamsawin, yes. Uh, one of those pronunciations. And it is available for free on the National Film Board of Canada's website. It concerns uh, a large part of uh, Professor Cornett's uh, dialogic philosophy of education, which again, we will unpack uh, later. We'll unpack it next week. And uh, Professor Cornett is trained in theology. Uh, I I believe he's a historian by discipline, but a lot of his concerns are religious. Uh, He did a great deal of work on uh, the Quiet Revolution, for example. 
uh, and the role of Catholic thought in the Quiet Revolution of Quebec. Mm-hmm. As an American, uh, Quiet Revolution ring any bells? Oh, nope. So essentially, Quebec in Canada um, has a very iffy attitude about being a member of the Canadian I've, nation. I've heard that they have an independent streak. They do. Uh, and the Quiet Revolution was a point that happened in the 60s, in the 50s, uh, and then through the 60s, which is sort of this uh, turn, again, very quiet, very gradual, towards uh, Quebec nationalism and understanding of the culture. Um, I have complicated thoughts on the Quiet Revolution. I have complicated thoughts on Quebec in general. I used to live there. Um, and that kind of colors my experience of French Canada hmm. uh, a wee bit. There's this sort of push-pull between Quebec and Ontario that really is a push-pull between Upper and Lower Canada. Hmm. Well, respectively switched, but those, yeah, that's sort of the foundational. For, for an American, what does Upper Canada mean? So when Canada lower? was founded as British North America, before that there were two basic areas of, um, well, there were the Maritimes as well, but Upper Canada, which mm-hmm. is actually geographically the southern more, more part is what is now Ontario, and that's English-speaking Canada. And then Lower Canada, which was the more northernmost part, I assume the guy who drew the map had it upside down, um, <laughs> is French-speaking Canada, or Quebec. And Quebec has actually a separate uh, legal tradition than the rest of Canada, for example. They use the Napoleonic Code, or Droit Civil, huh. uh, for their legal practices. And there is a great deal of tension. Uh, not, I, I, I want to say it's decreased now, but the thing about being on the West Coast is that uh, there is very little engagement with French Canada, hmm. if any. Not, nobody here speaks French. I don't speak French. There are people that speak French. Parlez-vous français? Yes. Parlez-vous français? Okay. I, I don't. do. I do not. I didn't answer in French, but I do. Yeah. See, for me, it's uh, there's, there's issues with it. I also... Correspondingly, I have a bizarre look at McGill University because my mother and my brother are both McGill alumni. And it's a fine institution. Mm-hmm. It's taken a few hits recently. Oh, really? Like, McGill has been having a rough time, but it's still, Montreal's a very interesting town. It's a very culturally important town. And I think Professor Cornett's teaching style, which incorporates uh, a great deal of music, among other things, but is definitely uh, very dialogic, very artistic. And mm. he'll be coming to Vancouver. Uh, to talk about, uh, in part about aesthetics, because he's very, um, very concerned with that in a lot of his teachings. Um, can you expand on what aesthetics means? Aesthetics, so art, uh, okay. ways of viewing art, okay. uh, and uh, there's a definite role of artistic expression yeah. in it. And I, I really do want to. I'm really am looking forward uh, to unpacking this. Hmm. Because there is, uh, there will be some very interesting uh, things uh, in play here. Especially because, um, well, one of the most famous Canadians is a professor who was fired from a major university. And who is that? That's Jordan Peterson. Oh, I have heard of him. Yes. <laughs> yes, he's, he's crossed the border. Yes, uh, he has. In, in, a, in a big way. Um, Aren't you guys proud? Who is also a person who thinks a great deal about religion. I don't hate Jordan Peterson. Yeah. I, I, I feel like there is a lot of animosity he's garnered. He's, some, he's polarizing, I'd say. I think some of the animosity is earned. I think some of it is not. Yeah. I I, I am, in a large part, the demographic he's aiming at. Mm. So that's <laughs> worth noting in and of itself. There's a lot about Jordan Peterson that I think is easier to take less severely now. Because, mm-hmm. ironically... In a more polarized age, I do think that there's a lot of reason to 
lay off Jordan Peterson because there are people who are substantially worse and substantially more stupid and venal. Mm-hmm. And I would even say among his contemporaries, uh, especially by comparison, people like Ben Shapiro, he's oh. got the moral and personal high ground. Yeah, well, I, I'm, I would agree with you there. Um, there are When he came to UBC, I think there was a very interesting uh, response published noting that his, uh, his uh, characterization of some historical events is kind of sympathetic to genocide. Um, uh, vis-a-vis some counter-swing point. This, this is not the place to express <laughs> these grievances. We just go here sometimes. You know, if I, if I don't mention the Mormons, I gotta go somewhere. <laughs> it's, it is Lita Moser. I, I am sorry, I was just trying to st- uh, struggle for the, uh, it, it is her, um, work on, uh, her photographic work on Quebec, which will be exhibited at the Gold Corp uh, very soon, uh, any minute now, as soon as I can figure out where. Um, that will actually be next Wednesday, will be the event that, Corn- that Professor Cornette is officiating. So we'll probably like be pretty close to it. So definitely check that out. That's Lita Moser uh, and Norman Cornette. Uh, I think it'll be very interesting. Uh, now, we're going to take another short PSA break that probably should have taken up five minutes ago to stay on time, but never say die. Uh, and then when we, when we return, thank you, when, <laughs> when we return, uh, we will wind up the show. Again, if you want, I might play Henry VIII, I am, I am, because again, I really like that song. Oh, God. Right, come on, come on. It's, 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 it's a good song. No. Henry, Henry, Henry VIII. I'll stop. Uh, yeah, just here we go. Call in while you can. I'm Henry the Eighth, I am. Henry the Eighth, I am, I am. I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times before. And everyone was an Henry. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. I'm a eighth old man, I'm Henry. Henry the Eighth, I am. Second verse, same as the first. I'm Henry the Eighth, I am. Henry the eighth, I am, I am. I got married to the widow next door. She's been married seven times before, and everyone was an Henry. She wouldn't have a Willie or a Sam. I'm a eighth old man, I'm Henry. Henry the eighth, I am. I own my media. I own my media. I own my media. I own my media. 
The Media Co-op is a grassroots national news network that's owned by its members. Join us today at mediacoop.ca slash join. Your cell phone already has an FM receiver chip installed in it, but major Canadian telecommunication and mobile companies have blocked access to this free system to listen to the radio in favor of charging for data streaming. With access to the FM chip, your phone can still receive broadcasts and updates during an emergency, even if the cell towers are down. Visit freeradioonmyphone.ca to see how you can get involved by contacting your carrier and signing our petition. Well, you know how I said that the Lita Moser um, exhibition is uh, next Wednesday, so you know you might have to listen to this remotely. You know, as you beat your way over there. Turns out uh, there's an animated documentary on Lita Moser. Lita Moser looks pretty great. It's about 26 minutes long. There's a screening and a Q and A. Uh, with uh, the filmmaker Joyce Borenstein and uh, Professor Norman Cornett uh, at Emily Carr, uh, the Reliance Theatre, 520 East 1st. That is on uh, February 5th. That is, I believe, next Tuesday. Yeah, next Tuesday. Yeah, so that so you can check that out. Uh, disregard uh, what I might have said before. Check that out. Seems very interesting. Seems to be a very uh, important uh, photographer. I'm not actually that well versed in photography, so I suspect that um, some of the uh, some some of the some of that may be lost on me. But you know, should be should be fine. Should be fine. Another thing to uh, to think about uh, that is coming up uh, at uh, at some point. Uh, is the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, is uh, 39 Steps. Uh, yep, from the novel by John Buchan, from the movie uh, of Alfred Hitchcock, John Buchan, who are, as we Canadians may know him, Lord Tweedsmuir, Governor General. Like, Nobody knows him, no. I, I don't, but I, I am not a Canadian, as we've established. No, so. that's that's true. John Buchan was, a, well, among other, he was a civil servant, and he wrote some actually very good spy novels. Uh, my favorite's Ooh. Green Mantle. Uh and uh, products of their time, certainly to a degree. Uh, they're the Richard Hannay novels, and uh, probably the most famous of them is the Thirty Nine Steps. I've heard of that. Alfred Hitchcock. Yes. Yeah. I the, know that guy. That movie. That movie's really good. And there is uh, a uh, new Vancouver Theatre Company production of it going from March first to tenth at the. Okay, that's farther off than I thought. At the Norman Rothstein Theatre. Um, the Norman Rothstein Theater, uh, for those who are familiar with uh, UBC Musical Theater, uh, is where they've had their past couple of shows. It's a nice venue. Um, and there are Mandarin surtitles on it because, yeah, cool. Interesting stuff. Uh, we may we may do a bit on that, but we wanted to get that one out there as soon as possible. Also, a little farther off, but still very important, there is the Coastal Dance Festival, formerly known as the Coastal First Nations Festival, which will have their 12th opening on February 20th. Um, that's at the Anvil Center in New Westminster, just to hammer the message in. We Love need to get dance. chirping cricket sound effects for that. <laughs> uh, and there is also, a little bit closer to home, there is Oscar Night at... Uh, the Rio Theater, yes. They'll be showing the Oscars shorts. That's uh, the February 8th to the 22nd, variously. Uh, uh, really running the gamut there. And then they'll have an Oscar party uh, on uh, the February 24th. A red carpet VIF Oscar party, which I believe is at the Van City Theater. 
Uh, I believe it is a VIF event. So, yes. Oh, yeah. No, sorry. This is not at the Rio. This is all at the VIF Van City Theater. I was completely <laughs> wrong. Um, the Rio is also doing uh, an Oscar night, though. Stay, uh, stay, stay tuned uh, for that. Do you have any movies you're rooting for, Jake? For Oscar season? Well, I... I I haven't seen Roma, but that's going to win something. I would be mm-hmm. very surprised if it doesn't, because Alfonso Cuarón's, if if any, if nothing else, he's earned it. Um, I don't know. What are you thinking? Oh goodness, I've seen it. I think next to nothing besides Black Panther, and you know, they I, really want Black Panther they, to win one. You know, I found it enjoyable. Best movie? Eh. It was. It was a good movie. I just not thinking. Oscar necessarily. The Academy's kind of worked themselves into a corner on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Like the in, uh, in I think it was '76. Oscar nominees included Star Wars and Rocky Horror. Really? Would not happen what? today. Rocky Wouldn't, Horror? Would not have happened today. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. The Academy's really kind of eaten themselves, ate themselves a little bit. They're sort of yeah. So they really want to do Black Panther um, for reasons which. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we're pretty well aware of the reason. I mean, you know, people liked it. It's an admirable reason. Yeah. The why they want to do it, but uh it doesn't really it doesn't really work by what they've set up for themselves. Yeah. So yeah. they're trying to bend over backwards, that's making it worse. Uh but yeah, there should be some good stuff. Hope there's something in there. Uh Christian Bale's really going for it with Vice. Oh, Vice, I did see that. How'd I did you like see Vice? That. Um, you know, oh God, I, I didn't, it was by the same guy, Adam McKay, who did uh, Big Short. Anchorman, too. And Anchorman, oh, wow. He's the resident <gasps> filmmaker for the Bush administration, because he also directed Will Ferrell's Your Welcome America special. Wow, what a, a repertoire, man. That's yeah. great. Um, Things like the big, he is the resident for, he is the filmmaker for the Bush years. Because uh-huh. the Big Short. You're, wow, you're right. Anchor, well, Anchorman has the joke where Steve Carell's character, who... It's kind of funny, Steve Carell's playing Donald Rumsfeld, but uh, Steve Carell's character in The yeah. Big Short became a member of the Bush administration. Oh, my God. It's Rick Tamlin, yeah. Um, I, you know, I, I thought, I, I preferred The Big Short to Vice, but, you know, I, I thought Vice was, was good, too. The thing about Vice I did like was that they both are kind of meta films. Like, yeah. in Vice, there's the point where they do the fake credits. Oh, my God. I thought that was hilarious. When they thought they were going to re- they could have ended right here. <laughs> and everyone's happy. And uh, I, I was disappointed about one thing in Vice, though. What was that? Sam Rockwell dances in every movie. And he didn't dance. You couldn't have gotten Rockwell Bush to dance. Ugh. But you, you know what? I I love Rockwell Bush. I think Sam Rockwell is fantastic. Oh, he's spot on. Yeah. Uh, his appearance. I mean, so is Christian Bale too, and as Dick Cheney, like. Well, I mean, that's just please give me an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. That's what he's saying, please give me an Oscar. I'm gonna hurt myself. He's doing what DiCaprio would... did with The Revenant. Uh, like, yeah. Please give me an Oscar. I'm gonna hurt myself. Yeah. Probably already has. <laughs> I mean. He... Did he, didn't he put on all those pounds? Yeah. Yeah. He did. He's done, I've seen him in The Machinist. You ever see that movie? No. That's when he was eating an apple and a cup of coffee a day to play a character oh. who has crippling insomnia, so he's rail thin. Oh, my God. And then he had to become Batman, so he had to bulk up after that. Ugh. So I think he's probably done his body permanent damage multiple oh, times. You, you can't just do that. No. Like, and be healthy. <laughs> you, I gotta admire that man's dedication. Oh, you, you do, but he's also nuts. Oh gosh. There's something to that, and I I really like Steve Carell as an actor. Yeah. And yeah. Him as Donald Rumsfeld, who is a person, kind of an accidental poet. Huh. What? Well, go on. The known unknowns. 
Mm. Where are the known on? I, I, there's that's got to be online. I think there's like a dance remix of Donald Rumsfeld's Known Unknowns, uh -huh. and there's like the accidental. There's it's set as poetry. We all know the known unknowns. Do you think that uh, Steve Carell is trying to transition to more like drama? I think he can do it. Yeah. Uh, I think that Steve Carell also wants an Oscar because I've seen Foxcatcher. Um, yeah. Uh, I think he can do it. I think he is a good enough actor. I think he can certainly do those roles. Mm -hmm. um, do I think he should stop doing comedy? No. Yeah. He's a, he's a really good comic actor, and he's also a really good comic writer. Hmm. And I think that benefits. From yeah. movies like Vice, the tone of Vice is pretty... I think his character in that is fair is a fairly serious portrayal of Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah. But it is also... Donald Rumsfeld is a joke. Yeah. So it does fit that you have a comic actor playing him. <laughs> like there are little things like hey they didn't used to allow girls in this program now they do <laughs> I remember that like uh, and I, I do give Vice credit this it does actually kind of show what could have been kind of attractive about the Nixon era Republicans huh yeah which is probably only true for a very small segment of the population that probably also coincides with Jordan Peterson's demographic in a really shocking way mm -hmm. actually it's not shocking to anybody is it <laughs> That says more about me than the movie. So yeah, Vice would be cool. Yeah, and Rockwell Bush, the supporting actor, that'd be fun. Or or, or uh, Carell Rumsfeld. Yeah. So yeah, check out uh, Oscar festivities. Uh, check out uh, Professor Cornett's uh, present presentation. Do we know who the host is for the Oscars? Yeah. Uh, who is it supposed to be? I remember. Oh, hearing um, oh God, I'm forgetting the the comedian's name. It was supposed to be. Uh, uh, Kevin. It was supposed to be Kevin Hart. Yes. And then Eddie Murphy turned it down the offer to host. So that's coming up. Uh, there's no results that are. They oh, the author uh, apparently still doesn't have a host. Uh, yeah, as of January second, still no host. Wow. So yeah, interesting stuff. I mean, I you could call Seth MacFarlane back, let him him do a do over. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, what about Billy Crystal? I haven't seen him in years. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Remember him in The Princess Bride? Oh, I love him. That's great. <laughs> Have fun, Storm of the Castle. Have fun, Storm. They're going to die. They probably are. <laughs> he clearly said, to blade. <laughs> As you know, to blade means to bluff, which means you're probably playing cards, and he cheated. <laughs> Classic. There's one Billy Crystal movie I really do love. is a one he did with Robin Williams. It's called Father's Day. Uh, it's ranked among Robin Williams' worst movies. <laughs> I actually think it's got some pretty amazing moments. The mm -hmm. plot is they're both they both dated the same woman in the seventies. This is made the nineties, and the nineties turned into Jeremy Friedman for a second. And <laughs> she calls them both back and tells them that they're the father of her son, so that they'll track him down. Her son's left home. That's kind of like oh ooh, it's that's like Mamma Mia premise, but somewhat but kind twist. of in reverse. Yeah. Uh, and Robin Williams is this so. One reason this movie hasn't aged very well is Robin Williams' character is an English teacher who's a poet and a playwright who's also suicidally depressed. Ugh, so ugh. his first scene is him putting a gun in his mouth oh, God. about to check himself out, but then the phone rings and he answers it. Like, Colette? Colette Rochelle, how you doing? Takes the gun out of his mouth. No, I'm not. No, I'm not doing it. I think I haven't made any plans. Yeah, I could see how that would be funny. And then uh, Billy Crystal is this uptight lawyer who, and it's, it's a buddy movie while they try to find uh, the son. Huh. It's, and it's good in some points because it does... It does play to their strengths. Like, you get Robin Williams doing a lot of impressions. Yeah. Playing a character who is manic-depressive. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. 
Billy, yeah, it'd be great to have Billy Crystal host. <laughs> Bring him back. Be good. Make Billy Crystal great again. <laughs> that is something. That is a campaign I can get there behind. There we go. Let's make the hats. That, that's the note we're going out on. Make Billy Crystal great again. This has been the Arts Report. I'm Jake Clark. <laughs> and I'm Leah Siegel. And it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers. Hey, how you doing? This is Sean from Youth Brigade. You're listening to CITR 101.9 FM in Vancouver. <laughs>